Hello, and welcome to the Translation Company Talk, a weekly podcast show focusing on translation services and the language industry. The Translation Company Talk covers topics of interest for professionals engaged in the business of translation, localization, transcription, interpreting, and language technology. The Translation Company Talk is sponsored by Hybrid Links. Your host is Sultan Ghaznawi with today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Translation Company Talk podcast. Today we are going to talk about best practices for management of human resources in a language services provider company. While this is a complex and regionally dependent topic, we will try to get a high-level view and cover some of the basic norms and structures of managing people inside our organizations. I have invited Diego Corsieri to speak about this topic. Diego Corsieri is CEO and founder of Creative Words, which offers its services to multilingual translation agencies, Italian companies aiming to internationalize, and foreign companies aiming to enter the Italian market. At Creative Words, Diego is responsible for the company's strategy and growth. Diego graduated in translation and interpreting at the University of Genoa, and before founding Creative Words, he was a translator, project manager, and chief operating officer in a local translation agency. He is currently the president of the board of directors of ELEA, the European Language Industry Association. With a strong inclination to share, when not involved in his company, he holds workshops and seminars on innovation, artificial intelligence, and machine translation at universities, training schools, and language associations nationally and internationally. He enjoys spending his free time with his two kids. To learn more about him and his company, please visit www.creative-words.com. Welcome to the Translation Company Talk to Diego. Thank you. Thank you for having me today. Please introduce yourself and tell us what you do. I'm sure there's a lot of people who know you in the industry and there are some who probably haven't heard of you. Give them a brief introduction of who you are. Yeah, sure. So my name is Diego. I'm the founder of a company called Creative Words. We basically is a translation company based in Italy, Genoa. This is where I'm in at the moment. Uh, I was I've also created another company last year. We were busy in the uh, data for artificial intelligence industry. The company is called Creative AI. What else can I say? I'm the president of the European Language Industry Association. Uh, since last year, we'll see what 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 will happen next. Uh, if I be elected, <laughs> we have a, a board meeting soon in in October, in September, end of September. So we'll see what happens. So yeah, th- this is me. I being I'm the CEO of both companies at the moment. Uh, in the company, I take care of the strategy, you know, growth and anything related to you know growing the company and creating this, you know, a sustainable growth actually. So yeah, this is what I do. Okay. Uh, I joined uh, yeah. the industry. In 2005, uh, right before graduating in interpreting, right. so I did interpretation studies. I was lucky enough to find a job even before graduating. Uh, I was a bartender actually, and I found this job as a translator in a in a local company. But I soon realized that I, I didn't like to actually translate, so uh, I, I I jumped into project management, which is probably the best job I've ever done in my life. I love project management. After some years, I became a partner in that company and I stayed there for another uh, eight years. And then in 2016 is when I left uh, that company and founded Creative Words. 
Then my next question was about uh, how long you've been in this industry and how did you join? But but you answered that question. Now, tell me, uh, you know, like when you joined this industry, was it more by choice or is it because you had education as an interpreter and, and you just wanted to stay in this industry? Because obviously everyone has many choices at that stage, right? Yeah, well, I when I was studying uh, interpreting, I had no clue about the industry, actually. So uh, what I had in mind is the dream was the dream job where you would travel a lot and, you know, you would get paid for it. So I just wanted to travel. I actually decided that I, I liked translation when I was 14, uh, you know, with the first English classes. And I chose the language school uh, when I was 14. And yeah, this is all what I wanted to do in all my life. Basically, I was lucky enough, I guess, to, to have a clear mind on what I wanted to do. Of course, I didn't know anything about the industry. I just liked the, the you know, English, and that was it. Um, of course, uh, after university, uh, it was uh, then uh, that I really understood what the what the industry was about. When I joined this company that I was mentioning, I had no clue. So actually, my first interview was was really bad, I would say. So I had to insist <laughs> a little bit uh, to to get hired by them uh, because I had no clue. So I, I I I got the interview and I heard very big names. So they were working for very big companies, and there was wow, <laughs> this is what how it works. Can you right. you can really get to, to translate for these companies and and this uh, wire state actually. So I had no clue. So it's, it was not by, it didn't happen like that. Uh, I, I had an idea that I wanted to be in this industry, but I had no idea what the industry was about. And, and uh, speaking of your experience here, please share uh, what you have observed in this industry since you've joined. I mean, since the time that you came to this space, it has transformed in so many ways. I mean, technology, processes, and so what has stood out to you? Well, well, probably the biggest uh, thing, uh, and this is where I've been focused in the last 10 years, I'd say, is machine translation. So let's say this is the biggest change. I remember it was 2010 when I got the, the first project with machine translation, and I was right. kind of shocked uh, back then. Um, I, I didn't see, like, many, many disruptions, actually. Uh, what I can think of is the, you know, the automatic... Uh, synthetic voices, for instance, this is very interesting, in my opinion, or automated subtitling. I think this is more disruptive than, than machine translation by itself. Uh, and what I see lately is that the constant search for, uh, you know, saving time. Uh, so automations everywhere, integrations. There are many companies offering that as a service or as a product as well. Uh, so, but if I have to tell you anything really disruptive that this change will change our industry like in, in short terms. I, I cannot think of anything. I mean, uh, yeah, probably again, neural machine translation, but it's, we're getting used to it probably. That's why I don't I don't perceive it as a as a big one at the moment. Right. Other than that, I don't I don't I cannot think of any other you know, big, big one. Okay. Well uh, Diego, let's uh, let's um focus. Uh, I have invited you to speak about human resources and language services companies. Uh, it, it is a topic that is not much talked about. People assume it's there, uh, yet it has an existential importance mm -hmm. for every LSP. 
please give us a very high level view of the state of HR in the language industry. How is it going? Yeah, first, first thank you for, for talking about this. I mean, as you said, this is not something that is much talked about. I, I think it's in our industry particularly, well, that's the only industry I, I really know about probably. Uh, it's a complex word. I mean, there are recruiting agencies, global payroll, it's a very complex one, it's an international one. Uh, many companies would uh, externalize their workforce, uh, while many others would have the big in-house department, uh, even LSPs uh, are like that. I mean, there are LSPs with big in-house teams and others which basically outsource everything. Uh, so it's a complex setup. There are many big differences as well from country to country. Uh, for instance, in Italy, labor cost is so high that uh, it's not common to see companies with big teams, big in-house teams, um, while in other countries, the, the teams are uh, usually bigger. Uh, and now with COVID, there, there are many different things related to HR, like remote working, virtual, should we outsource, should we bring teams in house to the office as well. So it's 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 really complex one, I think. And in Italy, it's very specific as well. And it's, I, I know we will talk about this in detail uh, later in the conversation, but uh, every jurisdiction has a different set of requirements, different set of regulations when it comes to HR. Walk me through what's going on in, in your region, in, in Italy. Uh, how do you have to comply and stay uh, in good terms with regulation in order to, to uh, you know, implement a proper HR policy and system? Well, it's, it's really complicated. Uh, in our company, in a company our size, we have a team now of 15. Uh, it's still simple, uh, simple uh, but it can get really complicated to comply with everything. You need to get to get to, to unions. Uh, there are clear processes that you need to follow. You need to hire people with uh, particular disabilities uh, after you get to a given number. So there are many, many different things. Uh, this is something we usually outsource. Uh, we have a consultant for that because it's really difficult to to keep the pace of new regulations and new things that the, that the Italian government would add uh, every year. So it, it's quite complicated, and and the cost, the labor cost in Italy is really really high, and it's really high. So in our industry, for instance, in Italy, a team of 15 is not is not a small team, right? As an average, I mean, it, it's it's getting quite big, because again, many companies would. would just outsource different roles. It's not common to have, for instance, in-house linguists, because this is something you can probably uh, easily outsource, and it would cost probably less <laughs> to outsource other than, than in-house. Um, so I think the biggest challenge is really the cost. Uh, so the cost was not so high, I would probably have the team double the size of the one I have now. but. So let's let's actually make something clear off the bat. You just mm -hmm. talked about outsourcing uh, some of these roles. So given the very nature of our businesses and our reliance on the independent contractors or freelancers, mm -hmm. we typically confuse vendor management or supply chain management with resource, human resource management. Now, please tell me what is the difference between the two for some of the LSPs that confuse these two different yeah. concepts. So let, let me start by saying that at least again, company my size and companies in Italy, it's not common uh, to have a dedicated HR person. In fact, we don't have one. Uh, so that's the, the, the first thing that I wanted to mention about this. Um, 
of course, in my in my mind, when I think of HR, I think of someone taking care of employees. When I talk about vendor management, I, I think of someone taking care of external suppliers. So that's the biggest difference, of course, in terms of role. Um, I would say that HR probably needs to have more in-depth knowledge of, you know, labor laws, for instance, and this will probably be the biggest differentiator between the two roles, while the vendor manager cannot actually ignore many of them. I mean, we would just talk with the consultant and the, the freelancers would have their own setup and everything. Um, and another thing I want to mention is that in terms of studies, for instance, while I'm looking to, to have an HR role, a dedicated one, uh, I'm pretty sure that I would not look for one uh, uh, person that has completed, for instance, transition studies. I would really look elsewhere. While for vendor manager, so for so someone in charge of managing my freelancers, uh, and we do that in a very strategic way, um, I would look for, uh, well, I did look for someone that was, uh, that had the knowledge of our industry already. So I think there are some challenges that are very intrinsic to our industry, and which is to say that the best PM for me has uh, either been a translator before or, or has completed transition studies. Uh, that, of course, my opinion, someone might not agree to this, uh, but I like to think of vendor manager not as a mere uh, purchase department. I mean, the more you understand the challenges of translators, the more you are able to, to manage them and to understand uh, them. Uh, of course, the two roles uh, have op- overlapping skills. Uh, I would also say. I would also say. I mean, if you have to to deal with people, there are some skills that they have in common. Uh, the two roles. I, I think of ethics, emotional intelligence, because there, there there will be conflicts that you need to manage at some point. Um, again, focused conflict management. Uh, in both cases, probably more for the vendor managers, it's important to be able to negotiate. Uh, so the soft skills set, I think it's, it's more or less the same, uh, but the, the, how you get there to that role, I think is different. I mean, I would look for someone with psychology studies or specific HR studies for the HR person, while for vendor manager, I look for someone with specific industry knowledge, because otherwise you, you you get to the point where, where you just negotiate the rates and you really don't understand each other. So that's that's my thought. When it comes to vendor management or resource management, uh, as you said, we're still dealing with people, albeit in a different capacity and on an yeah. as-need basis. Do you see a human resource specialist, a good fit for vendor management? Can you uh, interchangeably move them to different roles? I think you can. Uh, definitely. Uh, for instance, in terms of uh, learning and development, our vendor manager recently took over that part for our te- in-house team as well. So there are things that uh, tasks that you can complete as a vendor manager, even for the in-house staff, and vice versa. So my, for instance, my uh, we had a role called uh, uh, knowledge manager in the past, and that person would also take care of the training needs for the external team. So uh, in terms of learning and development, I think these are very interchangeable roles. Uh, as I said, the soft skills are really the same. So I, I think that 
uh, a good vendor manager, manager can turn into a good HR manager and vice versa. In our case, our vendor manager is taking care of uh, learning and development for the in-house team as well. Let's circle back to HR, uh, the human yep. resources concept. What are the core uh, and preferable business functions that rely on HR? And when is HR function invoked in your business? So, as I said, we, it's not that we do have a, a specific uh, person at the moment taking care of HR. Uh, I wish I had. I'm looking for that. Um, I think uh, really everyone, uh, every role, uh, has to rely on HR for you know from the start to the end. When from the moment where you open the job position uh, to the moment where collaboration comes to an end, it might happen as well. Uh, so we, we do rely on. on a, at least HR tasks, uh, if not a person, because they don't have that at the moment, uh, like every for everyone in the company, even for interns. I mean, we, we, there, there are steps that uh, the person uh, taking care of HR management is is involved on uh, for every every different role, like from the linguist to the project manager to the marketing, the sales person, and everything. So most companies don't have uh, a dedicated HR organization. I think, you know, it's very common in our industry, yep. given the size and structure of LSPs. So who else in, in uh, a translation company, for example, is most suited to, to take on this responsibility? Well, talking about roles, uh, I, I would say, and I take my company again as an example, it's either me or my operations uh, manager. Uh, taking care of HR decisions, I would say. You know, my operations manager would set the objectives uh, for, for the team, for instance, which is, of course, something the HR uh, should take care about. Um, or the vendor manager. This is what happens in my, in my company. Uh, but I would stress that it's uh, I, if I was in another company and I didn't have this uh, very good team, <laughs> these very good operations and vendor managers, uh, I would choose someone based on the skills rather than on, on, on the role that this person is, as at the moment. Uh, so the skills that I mentioned before, you need to, uh, to be someone with very strong uh, emotional intelligence, for instance. And this is not something that everybody has, unfortunately. At least I would look for someone who can be trained, uh, trained and can learn that skill, which is, again, not something everybody has. Yeah. So no, I was just repeating myself. In my case, it's the operations, basically, and myself. So, Diego, I, I get it. Now, for someone like that, in that yep. role, what type of skills they must have in order to effectively perform the human resources duties? And, and what type of personality traits you're looking for? Because you're dealing with people, right? It's a lot of social skills, mm -hmm. I'm assuming. Yeah, social skills, absolutely. That's the right word. Well, as I said, you need to have a strong ethics. Uh, and, and emotional intelligence to, to have to deal with people. It's not easy to deal with people, even as a bartender. Uh, I, I remember there, there were times when I didn't want to deal with people anymore. I was really, uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't want to see any clients uh, getting in the door at the bar. Uh, conflict management, you need to be able uh, and willing to, you know, to manage conflicts because this happens, uh, of course, and need to manage. You cannot just ignore that the conflict, conflict is happening. Uh, it's not easy to deal with people. So I would say, again, a strong emotional intelligence 
conflict management and ethics. I think poverty ethics is the most important one. You really need to 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 care about the people. So I like to say that we have a, a vendor management strategy uh, company. Uh, even if I don't really like uh, the word strategy 100%, because strategy usually implies you do something to get something back. I, I think HR should really be the aim, not the mean to, to, to get to some, uh, somewhere, right? It's, you really need to care about the people. And uh, we talked about this earlier, labor laws are different in every country and jurisdiction, and they dictate different requirements for every jurisdiction. Now, uh, you talked about Italy, but what should the HR person in your organization know about that? Uh, can, for example, the idea is that a lot of, uh, in our industry specifically, when globalization is happening at such a rapid speed, we tend to have teams around the world. But can you have an HR person in Europe while your uh, company's run in the U.S., what does that person need to know about the U.S. laws, or is, is that even a good idea to have an HR person outside the country? Well, I think it depends. It depends, uh, which is not a good answer, probably, but let me explain. So, uh, in creative words, we have not been in that situation still uh, to find employees abroad, but it's something that I was in a similar situation uh, a couple of years ago when I was in discussion to acquire a company abroad, and I think that the first thing you need to do when you, you go that direction is you need to talk with the consultant in that country because otherwise it gets messy, <laughs> uh, probably. Uh, from from small company, I would say that's the, the best way to go and I wouldn't go any further. I mean, if you open an office there, of course, you get to the point where you have local consultants as well. But I would really not consider uh, hiring someone abroad uh, unless you get to a given size, uh, for instance, uh, I would I would never ask my HR manager if I had one uh, to learn everything about another country because depending on the countries it can get really really different. I mean, UK and Italy are completely different. While, for instance, Italy and France are not that different, but you know, knowing everything about every country, I don't think is possible. So <laughs> in that case, I would rely to consultants. Uh, yeah, of course, there are other ways uh, to, to pay and get employees abroad, like the global payroll companies and, and so on. But if we exclude that, I would really go to, to consultants. Otherwise, it gets really, really, really messy, <laughs> I would say. I, I agree with you. Now, uh, we talked about the concept of HR and, and how what the role of HR is. Now, let's shift focus and talk about hiring people for an LSP. I mean, the, it's not as easy, although it sounds easy, it's not as easy to find the right people. Our core functions in our companies are, you know, sales, project management, and vendor management. That's act, uh, yeah. essentially what we do in our organizations, right? Everything else is peripheral. Now, where do we source people for these roles? And what are some of the best practices you would like to share to find the best people to fit into these roles? So, uh, I've taken different approaches based on the role. Uh, uh, when I started, my first hire was an intern in project management. Okay, right. so she started from scratch. She's now PM team lead, so she, she's really great in what she does. So she has now a team of seven. Uh, so in that case, I started with with an internship with the university. Um, sales, different story. Uh, I tried the same with universities. I was uh, not very lucky with that. Uh, so, uh, in that case, uh, 
I would suggest doing something different to uh, get to uh, get there. Vendor manager uh, again, similar to sales, I would go probably online search like opening a job uh, position on LinkedIn uh, would bring best results or get in touch with recruiting agencies. Uh, I did that as well. For vendor management, I was just contacted on LinkedIn by Jada, uh, who is our current vendor manager. And, and that's how we met and how we talked and how we started the conversation. Uh, we we went to employment centers as well for other uh, roles, but for these particular ones, I would say project managers, uh, university and training. Uh, we organized boot camps. Uh, very intense trainings for for project managers. Uh, so that's how we, we source this this role. Uh, sales, you could look into the recruiting agencies or uh, you know online opening a job position online. Vendor manager, I believe the same. Like, but, but I tend to say that uh, being online gives the best visibility. And the other thing that I want to say is that uh, we really should start working. And uh, when I say we, I say LSPs on uh, our employer branding. I mean, we need, I like the idea of being able to attract uh, the people rather than having to look for it. And in our case, it's working pretty good for some roles. Uh, for linguists, I mean, we have many, many <laughs> applications every day and for project management as well. Um, so we are working out on our employer uh branding as well by by doing stuff I mean, not, not it's not just marketing we are, we are doing things that are attracting people to come and join the company uh, i also want to say that for sales uh we try different approaches and i, I still have to find the one that works best for us <laughs> at the moment we don't have any sales team now Speaking of which, Diego, before we jump into other questions, let me ask you this. Yeah. Does a, a company of our size, you know, my company is similar to your size, and, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of us in our industry, do we need an HR policy manual um, that has to be written and followed? And and if so, who's writing it? What goes into that policy manual? So I, I, I'm all for documenting things uh, generally and processes. So my short answer would be yes. But depending on what you mean by policy manuals, uh, I like to think of the HR, uh, small parenthesis, I don't like HR manager as a whole, I would call it someone, uh, like with a different name. I don't like the word resources, by the way, but that's my opinion again. Uh, I would call it like people management or something like that. Uh, we don't have uh, written HR procedures. Uh, but we do have like a code of conduct where we summarize our values and what is accepted in our company or not in terms of, uh, you know, attitude or retaliation or bullism, for instance. Uh, so we have some we have collected this uh, stuff in, in a code of conduct, which is not an HR policy manual, but it gives the people that are joining the company an idea of our values and what is accepted or not in the company. This podcast is made possible with sponsorship from Hybrid Links, a human in the loop provider of translation and data collection services for healthcare, education, legal, and government sectors. Visit hybridlinks.com to learn more. I was referring more to things like, for example, defining the roles and responsibilities and job descriptions and 
basically telling okay. people uh, what what do we offer like how many sick days do you have in a year when can you go on vacation uh, what time do you start the work what time you end the work <laughs> who your you know support person is basically yeah. create some sort of a structure uh, I know that it may not be necessary, but do you think if doc if we were to document that 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 would help us, you know, run the machine a lot more smoothly? I think that would be a very good idea. Yeah, uh, we do have part of that as well. So we do have responsibilities uh, that we hold uh, down. Uh, the other things you mentioned, like you know, the office opening hours or uh, working hours, those are documented in the. Uh, collective agreements in, in for our industry uh, in Italy, so that that's part of the you know uh, counter agreements that we have. Uh, we have other separate documents in terms of you know having flexible hours, for instance. So what is not covered in our general agreements, country on a country level, we cover that in, in separate. Uh, documents and we have that documented because we need to have that anything that goes that is a variation of this co collective agreement that we have in place needs to be documented so Absolutely. we're getting there there's there, there's more that we can document but yeah i think it, it, it helps it helps a lot it helps also in terms of expectations when you are someone new for instance Diego, once people are brought into an organization meaning that you have agreed to hire them they undergo some sort of orientation and training Companies of our size obviously cannot afford to have full-fledged, uh, you know, HR training programs. Although we must have something, does this role also fall on the HR organization? And and I would like to know your thoughts on on building a robust onboarding program where these people have all the tools, knowledge, and skills, and and all their questions are answered before they start the job. I would so again, short answer would be yes. This is a very good idea. Something we should have didn't. Uh, notwithstanding the size, I mean, uh, if you're small, you probably get the biggest benefit out of having a very structured onboarding and induction program, for instance. Uh, so we, we kind of have that. We, we have a very a quite long presentation with you know, different roles, different touch points in the company, uh, different responsibilities uh, and training materials as well. And th those contents will be created by, by you know, the, the the person who knows the, the world best, for instance, the team leads, uh, the PM team lead, the linguistic team lead, and so on. Uh, the HR person, again, if I had one, would be in charge just of making sure that the program is delivered and completed. So that would be my answer. Uh, we are currently, in fact, we're considering our induction program. We want to centralize it in, on, a, on a single platform because I think you get a big benefit in terms of uh, hours that the tutor or whatever the, the team lead needs to invest in, in training and you don't you don't lose the benefit i mean even if it's on a platform even if it's a video if, even if it's a synchronous uh, for some contents you don't really lose the benefit of, of the training if it's not live i mean of course there are meetings one-to-ones and so on but uh, we started that when we are uh, we had the Many, many interns joined the company, uh, and we are extending that to to you know more long-term roles at the moment. I think it's it's a very good idea uh, to have one, and it's not depending on the size. 
Diego, let me let me actually interrupt there and and uh, ask you this: HR must also address things such as compensation, right? Which is why people work for, uh, for us, uh, and and things like continuous performance monitoring and and to make sure that people are are doing what they're asked to do or they improve uh, over time if there's an issue. How do you build these activities into your HR role? And uh, for a company like uh, ours, uh, where we have very limited number of resources. Where does this uh, responsibility fall? At the moment, in Creative Worlds, it's, it's basically myself and the operations manager. So we have this kind of discussions about compensation, uh, how to monitor performances. Uh, this is part of the HR role uh, in our company, depending on, on the role. It's, it's either on me, the operations manager, or the team lead, for instance. So uh, the PM team lead would take care of the performances of the of the PMs, for instance. Uh, it, it's definitely part of the of, of the HR. Uh, when it's not me directly taking care of it, uh, I do have meetings with with the team leads, for instance. Um, but well, uh, whatever whatever is baseline like. Uh, Basic compensation is dealt with by the the, the consultant, of course, the external consultant, uh, labor laws and everything. Uh, when we're talking about compensation, like bonuses or objectives, so performance monitoring, this is done in house by by the team leads, by myself or by the operations. Let's. Uh talk about the subject of uh, you know the difficult subject of letting people go or. Uh, unfortunately, we all have to deal with uh, firing people or parting ways with employees at times during, uh, you know, our, our tenure. Uh, what are your thoughts on having properly documented processes, ensuring that the least amount of discomfort for the employees that are let go, and, and to avoid any potential legal issues down the road? Uh, <laughs> how do you structure your processes that way? Well, that, that's that's a very complicated topic. Uh... So let me say that I just had to fire someone once uh, due to COVID. It was really the beginning of the first uh, wave of COVID. And I was lucky enough not to be in this situation too often. But uh, whenever it happens that I have the idea of at least understanding what can I do to, to have some to let someone go, because it happened. I mean, <laughs> I didn't have to in the end, but it happened to me that I wanted to. I basically talked with the consultant. Uh, it's. It, I think uh, again, having some something really well documented is good. But in Italy, labor laws are so complicated and ever changing that I do want to have a conversation with the consultant every time. And every time it happens, something has changed. So everything that I could have documented would have changed in any case. So that's my to go person uh, so for this thing uh, in a documented uh, I, I would document you know some procedures like uh, whatever happens to our collaboration I can always you know write a reference letter for you or uh, I, I can uh, actually when someone left the company back in March uh, we even prepared a gift for him because you know I mean it's not that you need to fight when when you you take different directions, right? So I would more document these kind of things rather than you know anything related to labor laws because that's that's really complicated. <laughs> that's really really complicated. Uh, how does HR fit into the overall general picture of uh, an organization of that delivers language services? How do you reflect uh, the leadership vision and mission into the HR practice? 
I mean, you have certain goals to grow to uh, the company to a certain direction, to a certain uh, level. And HR or the people who actually uh, do the work, they, they, they're the ones who are actually running this machine, right? Yeah. And if you have the right people, then, then they do the right thing. Now, how do you make sure that you bring in the right people? How does yeah. HR reflect that vision? Well, as I said, HR is very important in this respect. Uh, it, it affects the organization as a whole. We, if I had an HR person, I think that would turn the, the person that I would be talking uh, more often with, because I think that, that that's really important. Uh, I think the ability for a company to grow, which is one of my objectives for my company, is really interconnected with HR. Without the HR function, would never work. And I'm thinking of sustainable growth as well. I mean, I've seen companies hiring so many people in a very short time and then having to let go thousands of them after some months. And so, so having a constant, you know, conversation between the HR and the, the management of the company, I think is really important. Uh, always like from, again, from onboarding on. Uh, but this is something that, given the size of my company and, and the fact that I like having to deal with people, uh, I, I really want to be involved in. I mean, it's not, I, I haven't, I delegate everything more or less, but decisions about the HR uh, is still part of my job at the moment. And uh, can this function of HR be outsourced? Uh, we talked about outsourcing earlier. If we can outsource it or hire an external organization or a consultant to help us with that, what type of organizations are there that would take on the full HR function and provide a full professional service that meets our industry standards? I talked before about strategic HR management. I don't think this can be outsourced. I mean, what, what can be outsourced is, you know, the knowledge of the labor laws, again, generic payroll can be outsourced and we do that. Uh, but when you think about strategic HR management, I think that, that really, uh, that's really too important to be outsourced. So we, we do have partners in relation to HR. Uh, for instance, we, we, we talk with the different organizations when we need to create uh, those, those uh, agreements uh, that I was mentioning before, uh, anything that is not foreseen in collective contracts. Uh, but, but I don't think that HR can be completely outsourced. Absolutely. I mean, we can also the search and selection part of that, at least to a given point. Uh, we can also that, but we cannot source the day-to-day -day management, strategic management of, of the people. I would never do that. At what point in your organization, um, Diego, do you need to build an HR um, organization where you have a fully dedicated person or people, a uh, team of people, that uh, look after hiring people and, and maintaining them while they're working there. And, you know, at some point when they're parting ways to look after that. When do you think an LSP reaches that point where they must have a dedicated HR team? Ooh. Well, I think that this depends, on, again, on the country where you're in. Uh, uh, and, and again, how strategic you want it to be. For us, I think we are 15 again, and we have like some, some interns as well. So I usually say 20. Uh, for us, the moment has come, <laughs> uh, and I want that moment to, to be now because uh, I want to invest in training, 
uh, I want to, to have someone taking care of that part, which is important. Uh, so if you want to manage your HR, uh, your resources like that, like investing in them and uh, grow them, and if, if you want to to believe in them and to make them grow, I think the moment can, the moment can come even if you are like 10 in the company or 15. If you are a company with, you know, rolling doors when people come and go every now and then, and you don't care about turnover, for instance, I think that can come later. But for me, again, HR is so strategic that I do want a person dedicated to that right now. And we have many conversations going on about how to make the team happier. And there are many things going on in relation to remote work and many, many, many things that we need to take care of that I do want to have a, a person taking care of that because otherwise I would not be able myself to take care of that in at the level that I would want to take care of that. Let's talk about uh, inclusivity and uh, equity and the HR practice. You mentioned earlier that in Italy there are strict requirements as to uh, mm-hmm. how many minorities you must have on, on your team and so forth. And, and this is all good. Where do you start and who is responsible to make sure diversity, inclusion and support for underprivileged people um, to stay at the forefront of HR? Well, again, this is something that I'm currently involved in and I, I do want to be involved in. Uh, uh, we are a small company in, in Genoa. Uh, well, I would say the language industry in Italy is not so diverse. Right. Okay. So... I mean, I, I don't have many, many choices. I mean, apart from gender, that uh, there are a lot of women, for instance, in our industry. That, I mean, that's the only thing I can think of in terms of diversity. Of course, all our all our jobs are open to uh, anyone. But it, I, uh, what can I say? I don't. I don't get many diverse people in the company. But this is something we need to take care of, of course. Uh, I mean. Again, in Italy, we don't have people belonging to different demographics, different, uh, you know. Uh, so but I think you need to have clear procedures uh, uh, that should not be just like smoke and mirrors, like something you do for marketing. I think you need, you need to take care of, uh, to ensure that nobody's left behind. But this is not, this has not been a big concern for us, uh, for what I was saying before. I mean, it's not something that we need to address every day. Okay. In Italy, at least. Please share a few words, uh, Diego, about HR record keeping, because when it comes to uh, having people, uh, you know, documentation is very important. What should and shouldn't be registered in your organization's file system? Uh, how do you make sure that you safeguard this personal information and, have, you know, what's your process for distract, destroying them when you're done with that information? Well, in terms of in-house stuff, uh, we have requirements. We need to keep the data for so for some years in our records and our books. So it's not that I can destroy those data when someone left, leave the com- leaves the company. Um, so we do have some many checks in place to make sure that uh, we we manage the data, and this is valid, of course, for freelancers and customers as well, according to GDPR. Uh, we have some customers, and actually it's, it's mostly U.S. customers, asking us to do background checks as well on our on the team, taking care of you know a particular job or project. Uh, but we tend to you know collect the, as least data as we can. Uh, usually, it's basic demographic data in order to you know to 
uh, to be compliant with the government in terms of hiring people and let them go, but that, that's it. Um, so, for instance, where I was mentioning protected categories before, uh, we are not, for instance, entitled to ask the reason why they are including those categories. And why you are in those categories is not something we can ask, and we don't ask, of course, uh, and we don't document. Uh, we usually, again, uh, collect basic data in order to be compliant, and that's it. Okay. Diego, is it common practice to offer incentives in our industry, such as health insurance and so forth? Uh, uh, you know, labor has become a very competitive issue today um, globally. How do you motivate people to outperform themselves and, and develop that loyalty to stick with your company? So this is, this is, a, this is a big question. This is a big one. Uh, I don't think it's common practice, honestly. Uh, let me start by saying that in, in Italy we do have a public health system uh, which works works pretty well. So uh, the employees are covered in, when they are sick, for instance, or they got injured in an accident or whatever happened at the workplace. Uh, so they're covered for that. Uh, there are some flaws in the system where uh, LSPs, where companies in general can help and can you know uh, bring uh, more than than what is offered to everyone. Uh, for instance, in creative words, we have an injury insurance that will cover the team members for anything happening even outside uh, of the office or not during uh, working days. And this is something uh, we did you know, on a volunteer base, something additional. And those are, I think, uh, good benefits that you can offer to the team because when my team is pretty young, uh, when you're in your 20s, you don't think that, you know, something bad uh, can happen, but, you know, <laughs> it happens every now and then. So uh, the insurance, I think, is a good idea. Um, I was said by the bank uh, when, when I subscribed to this insurance that, that was the only one in general, and that still is the only company in general offering that. So when I say it's not common, I say it's really not common, okay? So this is not something that is usually included. We don't have many companies offering, you know, welfare, pro or welfare programs, for instance. Having said that, I think the best motivator for my team uh, has nothing to do with these benefits. I mean, these are important, but I think the best way uh, I motivate my team is by offering uh, ongoing, growing opportunities. When I say grow, I mean professional and personal growth. We do a lot of trainings, a lot of coaching. And the other thing is that I usually send them to conferences or I give them opportunities to do, to, to go uh, like 260 degrees that they can do many, many different things than just sitting in the office and and, and do their, their job. I mean, that's the best motivator. Probably traveling, uh, given their age as well, is the best motivator ever for them. As we reach the end of this interview, Diego, um, can you please share a few words of advice for the LSP executives listening about HR best practices? What would you like to tell them? Uh, what should they actually pay attention to when it comes to managing their, their teams? Again, big one. Uh, well, I still see, as we discussed, I still see many companies that just treat the, their team as, as you know, resources. Uh, as I said, I don't like the uh, the word resources. Of course, the people is a big, it's a big resource for the company. Uh, but I think the companies in our industry should really rethink uh, the way uh, they treat their team members. You know, hiring is not easy. Uh, I think 
uh, it's best to take care of the people you have rather than having to hire new people all the time. So investing in, in keeping them rather than for, for new ones every now and then. Uh, we've been through COVID, we've been through uh, what is called great, great resignation, I think that's the word. Uh, and, and this has shown that people do really care about the, their own well-being more than anything else, like probably more than the money as well. I mean, that's not the, uh, the best motivator at the moment, in, in my experience at least. Uh, for new generation, of course, this is even more true. I mean, uh, millennials or Gen Z would not really care about the money. If they are not happy, they would just leave you. So I think the sooner we, we get to understand this uh, and we really change our mindset as entrepreneurs, I think the better would be for all of us. That, that That's my <laughs> uh, few words about it. And the other thing that I want to add to close, uh, again, strategic uh, vendor, uh, HR management uh, is not something I like. Uh, I don't like this word. I don't like the word resources. Uh, it, it can have a negative connotation. Uh, but as I mentioned, the more you care about the people and the more this is your objective, the more uh, you can get back. Maybe I'm romantic, but this is how I manage the company and it works pretty good and, and I like it. Uh, I've thought many times of changing my role, and my name, my role name to something else having to do with people, because if you do care about the people, the rest would come as a, a very nice and good side effect. But I think, that's, I think that, that managing the people and having to care about the people should be really the first. Uh, aim of any entrepreneur. I agree with you, Diego, because without people, without our colleagues, without the, the our staff, our companies will not exist. Absolutely. They drive our organizations and their happiness must be top of mind for all of us. And with that, we have reached the end of this interview, but certainly the conversation will go on in the future. We will have additional talks about this topic. I really enjoyed speaking with you, Diego, and I hope we can do this again at some point. Uh, thank you Absolutely. for sharing your thoughts and ideas with the industry. Thank you very much for having me again. Bye, everybody. HR is an important function in every LSP, and regardless of who manages this department, it forms the backbone of the company's labor structure. Every employee must be properly qualified, onboarded, trained, coached, and when it's time to part ways, laws and regulations must be observed. In the US, our industry is continuously fighting the regulatory battle of independent contractors classified as employees by different levels of government. I must give credit to Bill Rivers and the entire team at the Association of Language Companies for spearheading that challenge. We must also consider the needs and wishes of our staff. I'm a proponent of investing into people and strongly believe that loyalty creates success in organizations. Treat your people nice so the company can be treated nice by customers and everyone else. At the end of the day, without our staff, our companies won't exist. Thank you to my team for every moment they put in to help us succeed. There you have it. Our episode covering HR for LSPs is reaching its end. I had a great time speaking with Diego on this specific topic that is not covered most of the time in our industry. We have many other interesting topics related to the translation industry that we will cover in future episodes. I hope you found this episode useful and were able to take away a few action items to improve your business. Don't forget to subscribe to the Translation Company Talk podcast on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other platforms, and give us a 5-star rating for this episode. Until next time.
Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe and stay tuned for our next episode.